You're listening to Christ is King, all of Him in all of life, from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. This podcast is part of our ongoing mission to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. For more information, visit rivertownchurch.org. May the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Word. We're continuing in our Christ is King series, and we're picking back up where we left off. Uh, We're still working our way through the subtopic of family, and as such, today we'll be looking specifically at Christ being king over our children, specifically with regards to instruction. So what is it that God has to say with regards to instructing our children? Next week, we'll be looking at discipline, and there is overlap, so you'll hear some hinting towards that, but primarily today, we're looking at what does it mean for Christ to have rule and reign over our parenting, and if you're not a parent in the room, this message is still for you, because where I'm preaching from will be entirely applicable to you as well, but we're going to draw out something from the text that is there, but uh, many miss it. And so we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. Uh, we'll, if you remember our reading of the law, it was Deuteronomy 4. Um, and we'll be in chapter 6. Uh, none of that was planned, by the way. And so if you would, turn with me there. And so to give you a quick backstory, so far in Deuteronomy, we've seen Israel reject God's leading into the promised land. So there's already been rebellion and uh, unbelief from within Israel. And they have now circled back. And in the previous chapter, Deuteronomy 5, the, we see the Ten Commandments given And immediately following the Ten Commandments, Moses says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. 
Father, we beg of you now that you would speak to us. We read earlier that the blessing you have towards your people is that you are near and you hear us when we call out to you. And so I pray now that you would hear us, that you would hear this prayer, that you would be in our midst. We know you are. We know that you've given us your spirit in Christ. But I pray that you would attune our hearts and our minds to your word, that by the power of your spirit, you would bring it to life and that it would cut and divide us within and that we would marvel at your word, that we, we would behold you and that we would submit ourselves to it. Please, Lord Jesus, move in our hearts that we would honor you and magnify you in all that we do. We trust that it is your design to speak to your people and to ignite our hearts uh, in faith. So Lord, would you give us uh, white hot worship today as we seek you in your word. Please speak to us each and every one of us. Um, May you be magnified in us and through us today. In the name of Christ, we ask and pray all this. Amen. And so, as I said earlier, the Ten Commandments had just been given. And really, the Ten Commandments, as we know, are like the summation of all the law, if you will. It gives commandments specifically with how the people of God ought to live under God and under his rule and reign, how the people of God ought to live among one another. And then we get into chapter 6, and in verse 4 we see the Shema, which was rightly understood to be a summation even of the Ten Commandments. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He answers with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so many read this text and have looked to it, and I, I think, and I, you know, I could be very wrong, but I, I think um, many, of, many a Bible teacher have missed some of the nuance of this text and some of the, the language that's hearkening back to previous promises, particularly with regards to children. And so my aim today, my aim today is to show us all how instructing our children is paramount in obeying God and fulfilling his divine prerogative and that it is the connection between command and blessing. That having children and instructing those children is both a command and a blessing and it it ties those two things together. And so look with me at verse 1 and 2. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. He's, he's reiterating what was just given in the Ten Commandments. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. And so immediately we see this connection that to do the commands of God is to fear him, is to fear him. We are called as his people, to obey the Lord in fear. It, this isn't simply reverence. I, 
many, many a time have I heard someone, multiple people, explain that fear of God really is just a reverence for his nature and his holiness. And while it is that, it can't simply be just that. If that were the case, when he reveals himself to man and they drop like dead men, why would they, why would they drop and say, woe is me? If it was just a reverence. People revere kings. People revere noblemen. People revere rulers and authorities. But they don't drop before them and say, woe is me. And so the law reminds us that God expects us to fear him because that is to see him rightly. That is to see him rightly. It is an acknowledgement that he is God and he alone who in power has saved us and has secured for us an inheritance. I mean, think about this. We have Israel wandering in the wilderness about to enter the land and you had that first generation visibly see the power of God demonstrated in judging Israel through the plagues. If you didn't know, each of those plagues was a direct indictment on a particular God of Egypt. And so you see God's power revealed in judging Egypt. Not only that, but just like in the flood when the righteous were saved and the wicked were destroyed, Israel walks through the Red Sea. And they're spared. But who is destroyed? Egypt. The waters come crashing down. So they, they have seen this with their own eyes. They have seen this. And then the Lord in his tender mercy and care for his people, he gives them bread to eat. And they murmur and complain. And then he, he gives them quail to satisfy their desires for meat. And they still, they still murmur and complain. And finally, they... They come to the border of the promised land, the very land that the God of their fathers said he would give them. And they, they're afraid, not of the Lord, but of the people. So rather than fearing God, they had feared man, and they ran. And they exaggerated what they saw so as to cause fear to be struck in the hearts of their fellow Israelites. And so that generation then had to wander in the wilderness until they died off so this subsequent generation could come in. And it's this generation that's being spoken to. They're being reminded again of the law that was first given at Horeb. And he says, look, do the commands that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. This fear is the acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. It's the acknowledgement that it is he who kills and makes alive. It's he who gives and takes away. It's he who wounds and heals. He does what he wants. One of the Psalms reads, our God is in the heavens. He does what he wants. That is to see him for who he is. And I want you to listen to this. This is, this is critical. Our obedience to his statutes is our fear of him. And our fear is obedience to his statutes. Or to put it another way, in a formula that Dietrich Bonhoeffer used for faith and obedience, 
you could say it this way. The one who obeys the Lord is the one who fears him. And the one who fears him is the one who obeys him. We belong to him because he has established his rule and reign in our midst by first saving us from our enemies and promising us an inheritance. He does what he wants and we are his. And if we are his, then our children are also. Our children are also. Therefore, our parenting, our parenting ought primarily be done in obedience to God and worship to him. Or in other words, our parenting is primarily for God's sake, not for our sake and not for our children's sake. You, we have to understand this. Our parenting is primarily for God. The telos or the end result of our parenting is not for the sake of us or our children, but it is for the sake of God and his divine program in establishing his rule and his reign among his people. We see this right there in verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. He's saying obedience ought to lead not just to your fear, but the fear of your children and your children's children. So walking fearfully before the Lord has to multiply in the same way that we're charged to multiply, to have children, to fill the earth. The way we walk, the way we walk before God has to be passed on. It is not meant to stay with us and die with us, but to be taught that generation after generation after generation, the earth is filled with God-fearers. It is for us and our children, and our children's children. Because ultimately, it is for God. It's a lifelong fear. Notice in verse 2, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So, a life of living obedient under the Lord, living fearfully under him, is not a one-time decision. It's not a prayer that we pray. <laughs> so many have been convinced by a false gospel that says, prayer, prayer. Acknowledge once that Jesus is Lord and you'll get into heaven. It, it doesn't work that way. If God is not honored as God in our hearts, then we don't know him. We don't know him. Our lifelong fear of the Lord and our obedience to him is the fruit of what is in our hearts. It's the fruit of what we actually see and how we see him and how we revere him and how we submit to him. And so, The precedent is that we would give our lives to walking fearfully before him and we would teach our children the same. That we would teach our children the same. And so this is like the why. Fear before the Lord is the why. Why are we called to instruct our children? Because God is worthy. 
because God is worthy. And because he is worthy, we ought to fear him. We ought to see him rightly and live, live according to his rule and his reign. But with, with the command also comes blessing. With the command comes a promise. In verse 3, it says, Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. In other words, listen up, listen up, pay attention to how you ought to live. Be careful to obey this word that I'm giving you. I mean, if Moses sounds redundant, it's because he is being redundant. He's saying, listen, listen, remember. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may, get this, multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey don't miss that but there's both a command and a blessing and that that command is to multiply and the blessing is multiplication this actually is hearkening back to the Abrahamic covenant what did he say to Abraham when he called him as a pagan man and said, fear me, fear me. And Abraham did. He says, I will turn your children into a nation. I will multiply you. You, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the entire world. And so don't miss that. This command to obey that you may multiply greatly is not just simply an afterthought in the Mosaic covenant, but it's It's fundamentally in the Abrahamic covenant. We must understand that having children and then training those children that they might might have children and train children, right, is the very program of God. It is the very program of God in establishing his rule and his reign. Your family doesn't turn into a nation unless they procreate. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And yet, and yet from the very beginning, this is how the Lord has designed his people to live. And so it's assumed, it's assumed that we will multiply. And a sign of our healthy multiplication is that, well, excuse me, Having healthy multiplication is a sign of our obedience. Unhealthy things multiply as well. Full nations turn away from the Lord their God. Because in a natural sense, God made things to multiply. But there's a specialness to the covenant he gives his people that they would multiply and fill the land and that it would be a land of blessing, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he says, be careful to do them, that, that, that you may multiply. And so we have the command already to go and obey, to rear children and to instruct them. Under Moses... 
though, these promises are conditional. The Mosaic Covenant is conditional. There were warnings in this book here. There are warnings of cursing if Israel did not obey. And yet there's promises of blessing for obedience. And we're gonna, we're, I'm going to tease some of this out. I, I don't want you to be discouraged from the start at, and to think that somehow where does Christ fit in with all of this? That's, we will get there and tease that out. But, but I think it's incredibly important to see what was normative for God's people and even the mind of the early church knowing the law. The Mosaic law was conditional, and so to have the blessings, to receive the blessings, it was understood that one must first obey. And we obey when we fear. We obey when we fear. We also see this mandate to multiply and to train up these children. We see it from the very beginning and to the very end in Scripture. And so, this is one of the most amazing things. In Genesis 18, the Lord had already promised Abraham a lot, right? We, we first see a covenant with Abraham struck in chapter 12, then struck in, uh, again reaffirmed in chapter 15, and then in 17. And yet, in chapter 18, this is right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, when three, three men had drawn near to Abraham under the oaks of Mamre. And it's revealed that one of them is the Lord. And in discussing destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for their actions, and this isn't irony when what was Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed for? The type of interactions they were having with one another were unrighteous. And not only that, they could not cause multiplication. There's a reason it's called sodomy. And so, don't, don't let that be missed, okay? And in light of that, this is what the Lord says about Abraham. This is amazing. Chapter 18, verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Don't, don't miss that. The Lord himself is summarizing the covenants he struck with Abraham. And in his summary, he says, I have chosen him that he would command his children and his household and that they would keep the way of the Lord. That they would keep the way of the Lord. It was given to Abraham that they, to, that he would have children and his children would have children and those children would have children and those children would have children and that there would be a lineage struck that feared the Lord and that kept the way of the Lord. How? By doing righteousness and justice. By doing righteousness and justice. And then throughout the scriptures, throughout we see the blessing that children are and the charge to train them. But we'll go right to Paul in the New Testament. In Ephesians 6, he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You see, Paul's not afraid of the law here. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So if you were curious as to whether the promises of the law still mean anything to us today, here's your answer. He's writing to Gentiles. (laughs) That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other translations say, do not exasperate your children. Fathers, don't provoke them, but instead train them up in the way of the Lord. And so, as we stated earlier, multiplication, a gift from God, does not find its, its goal in simply giving us children. But our multiplying is primarily for God. It is how he establishes his rule and his reign. In calling Abraham, he called a man to lead a family. And in leading a family, he made a nation. A nation set apart for the Lord's purposes. So again, our, our fearful obedience, our seeing him rightly and recognizing his word as authoritative and submitting ourselves to it, our fearful obedience before God, our having children, our training of our children, and the subsequent blessings from that obedience, all of these things are primarily for God. They're not for ourselves. They are for him and for him alone. Nextly, this one is, this is where we're going to spend some time because this is, I think, one of the most misunderstood things in modernity. And the church has yet to become awakened out of its slumber with regards to this. Children, children, and therefore parenting is not neutral. We're actually failing our children if we leave them to their own devices. The world... That means, and I mean world in the negative sense, the world as in the system that is opposed to God and his rule and his reign. The world believes and even preaches that we are brainwashing our children by instructing them in godliness and in righteousness. Do you know that? But here's the secret that they don't want us to know. They actually want our children for themselves. They want to accuse us of brainwashing, of feeding our children lies or not letting them figure it out on their own when in fact they want our children for themselves. And so parenting is not neutral. So much have I heard the sentiment of parents both in the church and in out, so unsurprising that non-believers believe this, but even in the church it says, I'm going to let them decide on their own what's best for them. How foolish. 
How foolish, how ignorant we would be to believe that. How ignorant we would be to believe that. When the entire prerogative of God establishing a people for his possession is that we and our children and our children's children would know him. That we would know him. Your child is not morally neutral. Because of sin in the world, we all have a predisposition to sin. Your children will never, on their own, consistently choose good. There is a time, I believe, where children are innocent. Small children. Very small. (laughs) But they're impressionable. They're moldable. And if you are not molding them with Christ and his word, someone else is. And the shape that they're being molded into may or may not be pretty. So hear me when I say it is, it is our responsibility and our duty as parents to train our kids We're going to tease this out further in a bit, but this is proactive. So many parents are caught off guard when their kids end up being people they they hate that they are. Or they're surprised at the things their children do, their teenage children do, or even their adult children. But parenting is proactive. It has to be. It has to be. There are time, there are things that you react to And it's important to be prepared to react to. But if you are not proactive in instructing your children in the way of the Lord, you are already losing the battle. It's gone. It's gone. You are letting the world do what the world does. And it is the world that is instructing and training them in unrighteousness and in ungodliness and in worldliness. I've been pondering a lot lately about simple answers to, I get asked occasionally why Kate and I will be homeschooling our children. I was not homeschooled as a child, neither was Kate, but the world was a different place then too. And some people mean well when they ask, they don't particularly understand it. But even outside of a worldview that sees God and fears him. The role and responsibility of a parent is to teach and train them to be an upright citizen, to prepare them for life. And in the most simple of explanations, I thought, why would I entrust the, the care and training of my child to the state? Why? If I'm the one responsible as a dad for teaching my children to be good, honorable people in society, why would I abrogate my responsibilities and let the state figure it out for me? It makes no sense. And on top of that, on top of that, there are, and I want to caveat this, there are many public educators who want the best for their students 
and who seek to do good in their communities. I'm not denying that. But there are prerogatives on a state level and on a federal level that seek to undermine everything we're teaching from the Word of God. They seek to undermine it and to replace it with their own agenda. I would be a fool to send my children to that. I'd be a fool. I know for some of you in the room, you coming to Christ came late in life and there are circumstances already set in place and that, and that is both understandable and there is mercy for that. But for those of you with young children particularly and who have an opportunity to choose, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Proactively pursue what it means to instruct your children in godliness. If this is real, if God is who he says he is, then this is real life. This is real life. Why would I give my child anything less than? Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command, excuse me, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Meaning the words he just spoken. And then do what with them? They should be on your heart. And then do what? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here we get to the how. We have seen the why of our multiplying and our training. Because the Lord is worthy and we ought to fear him. We have seen the blessings, the subsequent blessings thereof. And here's the how. How are we going to do it? How, as parents, are we going to live up to the task? The charge here is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That means there's no other. He is a unity. There is no other like him. He alone is God. That's what this means. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Obedience is not just your fear before the Lord or for the sake of blessing, but it is your love of the Lord. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be revealed by my Father. I too will love him and will reveal myself to him. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The New Testament is replete with saying, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. It's obvious. There's no hidden message. And so Jesus says, I can see whether or not you love me by whether or not you keep my commands. I can see it. It's plain to him. It's plain to him. And so our obedience is not just in fear or for the sake of blessing, 
that we might get something from it, but it is, our obedience is our love to the Lord. And so the charge is the Shema. It's to love him with all that we are and to hide his words in our heart, that they would be on our heart. And then there's instruction. There's immediate instruction on how to do this. Teach them diligently to your children. Do you see that? Isn't that amazing? The instruction on how to keep the Shema is to teach it to your children. I think this is rather mind-blowing. Why? Why? Because instructing, in instructing our children, we're actually instructing ourselves. Teaching our children the ways of Christ exposes us, it sifts us, and it teaches us his word also. You cannot faithfully teach your children the ways of Christ without actually pursuing the ways of Christ yourself. Because then you're just a hypocrite and your children see you. Your children see you. We all know that. We all know that. But this is why it, it, it takes proactivity to fulfill this. Instructing our children must, must be proactive. Listen to this. The world we live in today, it's, it's incredibly distracting. I, th I think that's a given. But look, from media, news, digital information at our fingertips, and a world that can access us from multiple avenues. Anybody can access me if, they, if, if I let them through text message, uh, iMessage, email, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. There's other social media apps as well, Twitter. It's hard to give our attention to just a few things. It's very hard. But to live fearfully before God and to love him by raising our children before him, we, we must, as parents, learn to devote ourselves to the right things, to the right things. This also means, this also means perhaps not living according to the dreams you had that parenting would look like. Some of us grew up playing sports or maybe it was arts or dance or something like that and we want those things for our children also or we, or we want to give them the things we didn't have perhaps. And I think there's, you know, there's good intention in that but when those things or any of those things begin to compromise our proactive instruction of the Lord and his commands, then we have chosen wrongly. We've chosen wrongly. We have to learn to devote ourselves to the right things. Because won't, what won't matter in 50 years is whether or not our kids won the Little League uh, soccer championship. But what will matter is whether they honor Christ in their hearts.
if our parenting is only responding to our children, we're missing it. We're missing it. And I want you to hear me out. This is not easy. It's not easy. I have little kids, and I still find myself (laughs) dazing away or wanting to respond to a message on my phone or I'm a, I'm a curious type. I, l- I love learning things and whatnot, and it's easy to justify that in my mind because it's such a personality quirk of mine. But when, it, but when it steps in the way of me being present with my children, it's gotta go. It's gotta go. Again, this is why the command says to do it diligently. The Lord is actually so concerned with us passing along his word. He, he gives us a list in order to emphasize what it looks like. Now, I'm not saying this list is, um, you know, an imperative. I, I think it's a list meant to emphasize the importance of dwelling in the word and communicating the word in all that we do. However, it wouldn't be a bad place to start to just simply obey it. You would not be wrong in just reading it and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Well, that's easy enough to understand. Talk about the commands of God in your house. Look to his word. Speak about his word. Study it with one another. Chat about it. Ruminate uh, ruminate on it. Talk of them when you walk by the way. Or in other words, in your comings and goings. Would the word dwell so richly in our hearts that we can talk about them whether or not our Bible is open. But as we come and as we go, may it be what fills us. Talk of them when you rise. For any of you that do not... now. This is a suggestion. I feel like Paul. Paul says, not the Lord, but I say this. I say this as one of your pastors. Seek him daily. Seek him in the morning with the first of yourself, the first of your time. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't believe the lie that somehow you should sleep in half an hour more and then get up and go right to work or whatever it is you do. Get up early and seek him. Establish that rhythm. It will benefit you greatly. Talk of the commands of the Lord when you rise. Talk about them with your children. Talk of them when you lie down. If you have young children or young enough where you still do bedtime stories, then do them. Do Stories of the Bible or from the Bible. And then we see next in the list are are things for the sake of remembrance. Things to prompt us to remember Christ and his command. Bind them as a sign on our hand. As frontlets between your eyes. Put the commands as as a sign uh, on our doorposts of the house or of the gate. Again, just this is for the sake of remembrance. Things that prompt you to dwell on on Christ and his word, to set your mind first on the things that are above where Christ is seated. The emphasis is this. All of life is for Christ. All of it. And one of our primary duties is establishing the rule and reign of Christ in the hearts of our children. 
Our rearing and instructing children is so fundamental to Christ's rule and reign and subsequent glory that to neglect this is to practically, practically throw away the word of Christ. To have it and not talk of it, not communicate it, not instruct with it, not train with it, is to show hatred for my child and an unbelief towards God. Because if I love the Lord and I fear Him and I love my children, I want them to know Him. I want them to know Him. To not pass it on to our children is like trying to restrain the Word and control it. Far be it from us to bind, it, bind up the word to ourselves that it dies with us. But the word is, is meant to be passed. A sower sows seed. Jesus says as much. And the good news ought to be shared by us to our children. And so... Let me read quickly from three Proverbs that I think are helpful. The Proverbs are, they're wise sayings. They're not quite promises, but they they are general wisdom. And so we can glean much from them. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That word train is actually translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as dedicate. Consider that. Dedicate your child to the way he should go. Dedicate him. I love that. Proverbs 29, 15. Now this is, this is more getting in discipline, but I still think this is helpful. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. How amazing and merciful it is of God to charge us with training up our children for his namesake. We, we can't control their hearts, but we have an obligation, a duty from the Lord himself to establish the word in their hearts. And if we're faithful, I I believe, I believe that they will inherit the promises too. And I want to emphasize this as we close. For everyone listening today, whether you're a parent or not, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Fear him. Fear him. Look to him. Cast yourself before him and see him for who he is. Honor him as holy in your hearts. He is worthy. Do not take lightly the command of his word. He alone is worthy of our fear. He's worthy of our love. 
and he is worthy of our worship. We are called to obey him because of who he is, not because of what he graciously promises us in return. Our obedience is for him, not for ourselves. And yet, and yet, and this is the good news, his, his promises of blessing are still good, and in Christ they are ours for the taking. Why? Because Jesus truly is our righteousness. If left to our own devices, we will not fulfill the demands of the law. We, we cannot. The law only reminds us of our sin because we fail at every attempt. And yet, because the Christ has come, because he has come, he has stood in the gap, fulfilling the demand of the law for us, taking up the wrath of God due us, and giving us his righteousness as a free gift of faith. And so, because of Christ, the promised blessings are ours. They're ours. We don't have to look to the command and be fearful that our children might not know him or that we might not be good enough to raise our kids in the faith or that we don't know enough, therefore how will my children know the Lord? We don't have to have those fears because Christ is our righteousness and he has secured for us every blessing, every blessing. It's ours. It's ours. That is good news. So don't be discouraged this morning. See him for who he is. And it is still ours to fear God. But take heart. Take heart. Because the law has been fulfilled. It has been satisfied in Christ. The blessings are now ours. In Ephesians it says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Believe that. Believe that. And I want to give you some simple suggestions on how to do these things because rearing children, instructing them, training them up, it's, it takes intention. We must be proactive. And so I'm, I'm going to give you just some simple suggestions. Early morning scripture readings and hymns. Perhaps the breakfast table is a great time to do that. And as an aside, if you're not eating meals together collectively, change that. Change it. Eat all your meals together uh, if you can. And at that time, you can do early morning scripture readings, perhaps a psalm with your breakfast, and perhaps sing a hymn as well. There are prayers of remembrance and thanksgiving at said meals. Pray for your meals. Establish that in the hearts of your children. Teach them to pray. Bible lessons throughout the day. This is only going to work if you're homeschooling, but incorporate it into whatever curriculum you choose if you're doing so. Let it be part and parcel of the curriculum. Gospel lessons during times of correction. This one's very important. Depending on the age of your children, sometimes they just need to be disciplined. All right? So that they know actions have consequences. But if they're old enough, I would admonish you to teach them lessons from the Bible. Establish the gospel in their hearts that they would see Christ 
and understand that God disciplines the ones that he loves. Emphasize that God is creator and sustainer during nature walks when you're out and about. Take your kids outside. Go walk in the woods. Let them see the world as it was meant to be seen. Bible readings at the dinner table or before bed. Also, seasonal and or holiday stories. Um, there's these great books that we typically pass out around Advent and also at Easter. And uh, we read one last, last year for Advent and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. And uh, I would highly recommend it. Those, thing, those books, if, if you find one that's good and we have those resources, we can advise you on that. They're profound for your children. Profound. Family prayer. Family prayer. Also, pray for your children on your own. I know Ben once said this to someone, but I'll say it again to all of you. Don't, don't let the pastors pray more for your children than you do. Don't let us pray more for your children than you do. We pray weekly. It's not, a hard, it's not that high of a standard. <laughs> we pray weekly for, for the flock, that is. Don't let us pray more for your children than you do. Also, hymns and prayer before bedtime. And just to bring it to earth, I'll give you a little bit of what we do at my house. Now, my children are four, two, and six months almost. So this will be different depending on the age of your children. We can't really talk much at the dinner table because my girls are a little too silly. So I can't really ask them, you know, provoking questions just yet. But throughout the day, Kate reads them Bible stories. They uh, will memorize scripture. Juniper has memorized several psalms at various points. Um, I've taught them the Lord's Prayer because at night we read, some, not always from a, from a Bible story book, but mostly from a Bible story book. And then I take the girls upstairs and we sing two hymns and pray together. It's simple. It's simple. I, I don't tell you that to show righteousness, but to say, look, establish these rhythms now. It's not hard. And once you establish them, you will cherish them. I love every night taking my girls up to bed. I love it. And now my two-year-old is singing along and she knows the hymns. It is such a blessing to me as their father. And it's simple. And you'll have to learn how to change and adapt as they get older. But do it. Do it. Lastly, in considering these things, again, we have to remember this. Our obedience and our justification has already been purchased for us in Christ. He is truly our righteousness. Therefore, we don't have to fear missing the mark. He is for us in this and is with us in establishing his rule and reign in the hearts of our children. It's for him. Surely he'll do it. Surely he'll do it. We can now gladly obey the law in Christ. Because the law has been fulfilled in him and subsequent blessings are now ours. We can surely take hold of the promises for us and for our children and for our children's children today because they are ours in Christ. And I want to close with this. After preaching the gospel, or during so, in the book of Acts, Peter says this. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise is for you and for your children. Believe that, church. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy, worthy of all our worship. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that it would be real, that from within we would devote ourselves to you, that we would love you with all of our heart, our soul, and our might, and that we would bind your word to our hearts. Far be it from us to neglect the simple things. I pray that you would teach us how to be godly parents. And for those who, who do not have children in the room, I, I pray that you would continue to multiply in our midst, that you would give children to those couples who don't yet have children. And I pray that those who are beyond small children and perhaps at a different season in life, that you would still establish your rule and reign in their hearts. And that you would teach all of us to be spiritual parents. Whether it's to our children or to those whom we're discipling or to those that we care about. Lord, please, we want to hide your word in our heart and proclaim it faithfully. Would it not die with us, but would we speak of it always? Because you're worthy. And we trust that you are establishing your rule and, in, and your reign in our midst. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do it, that you would do it. We want to see you magnified. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use us, Lord, and teach us to obey your word. For you are worthy. And it's in your name we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen.